This episode of the Kettle and Cup podcast is brought to you by us. We don't have any sponsors yet. So enjoy this commercial-free episode of the Kettle and Cup podcast. Hey, this is Alex. Welcome to the first Kettle and Cup podcast, 2018. During this first section of the podcast, moving forward, I would be answering listener mail, inquiries, comments. There haven't been any yet, but that's only because we've just done a Kettle and Cup podcast announcement. I would like to thank everybody who gave that a thumbs up or a like on Facebook Though I had been amassing names and people who might appear on this podcast as a guest, there was somebody who commented their interest, and that is Barb Steinhorst. Barb has been a supporter of Kettle and Cup over the years. She's a great family friend, lover of music, plays the accordion, I found out in my interview with her that she also can play trombone. I had known that Barb was involved with the Historical Society in Reedsburg. I also knew that she was a reporter and photographer for the Reedsburg Independent newspaper. And so I thought she would be a really great interview subject. We sat down and conducted a great interview, I think. I'd love to hear some feedback from listeners out there. And before I roll the interview forward, just a reminder that you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash kettle and cup. After my interview with Barb, normally there would be the segment called checking in My interview with Barb ran a little bit longer than I'd expected, so I'm going to forego checking in for this episode. We'll bring it about in a future episode. There will be a brief segment with Lori and I, and we hope you enjoy it. Here is the interview with Barb Steinhorst. I feel bad that you drove in the rain. (laughs) Hey, I was caught in the rain three times yesterday. I drove in the worst part of it last night. Couldn't see to go home, but I went. And coming back to town tonight, I couldn't see to come to town, but I remembered where it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of people still refer to this as the Hale House, because the Hales used to live here, I guess. Hale. I I don't remember that name. Um, what did they do? I don't know what they did. Hey. Um, originally, now you didn't really get a chance to look around, but um, I'll be happy to show you later. Sure. Um, originally, it was just three quarters of the house, mm-hmm. and they had a garage to the right, and then they decided to build this tuck under garage and a great room over that. And um, so that's something like 500 square feet extra. Of room. Good. Yeah, it's really nice. And um, 
at the time that we were looking for houses, and make this all about me. <laughs> okay. At the time that we were looking for houses, I was really particular about what I wanted, and so much as like you know, the floods of 2008 had come through already, and I knew some of the areas of town where that had happened. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, Lori would say, well, what about this one on West 2nd Street or something? I'm like, no, that whole area was underwater. <laughs> you know, what about this place or that place? And then I was also I was also particular because both of the kids were attending Pineview at the time. Mm. So I wanted to be close to Pineview, yet close to Webb. Mm-hmm. Perfect. It, it really did work out. And so it really frustrated her, though, <laughs> I have to admit, because she... You know, she would she would say something like, this house looks great. And, you know, looking online and there would be some really great houses, but they just they just weren't in the area. I seem to remember when you moved in, hmm. you had the coffee shop, right? We didn't. We had the coffee shop the next year. Okay. So we moved in. Well, yeah, almost an exact year. So we moved in in August of 2008. No, no, no. It'll be eight years. We moved in in August 2010. And then we opened the coffee shop in October of 2011 because we both got fired from our jobs earlier that year. <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there ends up being situations sometimes when you're, when you're in a job and you're like, yeah, there's some really good um, intentions mm-hmm. when we got started. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, those good intentions kind of disappear and it just becomes like, I don't know, painful, painful mm-hmm. to go in. Hey, I was at a job for 25, 28 years, and they changed everything. They changed everything, managers, everything, the brand, everything. And their new people they brought in, they had one goal, and that was to get rid of the people who'd been there the longest. Oh, well, that makes total sense (laughs) on a business side, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Not really on the humanitarian side, though. Well, and not even on the side of having experience there, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it was kind of a personal place sure where did you where did you work at for for that 23 years blackhawk credit union okay was in janesville was there a branch of that up this way no the farthest it came up this way was stoughton oh really yeah yeah um they they in fact they haven't come this far north yet but they're all over the southern part and down into illinois so they got really big. Mm-hmm. It was a good place to work. We were the only, the only financial institution. We weren't a bank. We were a credit union. We were the only financial institution to go out on strike. Oh, really? Yes. We were, we were members of the UAW because that's where we were founded was inside the GM plant. Oh, sure. And so we went on strike. And it was a beautiful day on April Fool's Day when we walked out. <laughs> And I'm doing a loan for a guy for a boat. And at exactly 11 o'clock, I said, oh, well, I have to go now. Somebody else will have to do this because I'm going on strike now. And he's like, well, what What about my boat? <laughs> I said, you'll get it. Just hang in there. <laughs> so obviously, um, obviously, they, they suffered the loss of you and stayed in business, unfortunately. Huh? <laughs> well... Uh, it's hard to believe, but there's probably 10 people that are still there from when I left. They Mm. were there when I left, but they were kind of new hires a few years before I left in 2005. And uh, so there's a few still there, but they they crippled the union. 
it's still there, but it's crippled. And they, uh, a lot of those people bailed out and went into supervision because they had experience. So what I is, can understand that. What is that? What supervisions? Well, they were department managers and oh, stuff oh, like got that. it. It was so, a big. It had a lot of departments. A lot of chiefs. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, yeah, it did have a lot of chiefs. <laughs> was banking something that you had wanted to get into? No. Or you just fell into it? No, I didn't go to college. I just got married and moved to Janesville and found jobs that I could get and uh, had Val. And one day I was riding my bike over to the bank to make a withdrawal. And I knew a girl who worked in there. And she said, did you know we're hiring? And I said, no, really? She said, yeah, why don't you just stop into Reggie's office and let him know you might be interested? So I did that. And they called me back and said, well, come in and fill in an application. And so I started in banking, not knowing anything about banking. They say that some of your best employees are are your best customers first. Mm -hmm. So they must have seen you regularly and determined that you could string two sentences together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're right there. (laughs) That's how it was. We had gotten Tara to work for us at the coffee shop because she was there a lot. And we had come to know you and we had come to know Val. Mm-hmm. So we knew that she came from good family, mm-hmm. you know, so we knew that we could trust her, which <laughs> yeah. is not easy to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Your business is like your baby. Yeah. You recently in 2017 had your wedding anniversary mm-hmm. for how many years? 50th. 50. And so it's fair to say that you guys know each other pretty well by now. And we dated from my freshman year. Oh, really? He was a junior. I was a freshman. Yeah. Oh, one of those stories. Yeah. And there were probably a dozen people in both our classes Mm -hmm. that were boyfriend, girlfriend then, and they're still married now. Really? So it was something that was going on with the water or something. (laughs) So you got married here and moved as a married couple to Janesville. Yep. And what was Evan doing for work at that time? He worked at General Motors. He was working here at the uh, Woolen Mill, and, you know, they didn't, no money, but that's where he went to work after sure. he got out of high school. And he, John Donor, a, gu- a guy from Reedsburg who became the union president, he called up Evan and said, Get your ass down to Janesville. They're hiring. And so Evan went down. He got hired right away, and he came back, and he told Willa Mill, I got to quit, and I got to quit today, and they were, you got to give two weeks notice, and he said, well, I can't, because they're starting me on a Saturday, and what I'll make on Saturday is what I make here all week. I'm done. So what year was that? 1965. Three years before the mill would catch fire, right? Mm-hmm. Was it 68 when the mill yeah. burned down? Yeah, we weren't here when it when it burned. That sort of job was a big deal then, the auto workers. Mm-hmm. Oh, th- hundreds of people from around here did the same thing. There or Chrysler or uh, American Motors. Hmm. How long was he how long was he there? Oh, let's see. Well, he, re- he when when the plant was whispering about leaving about Mm -hmm. closing you know that took 
at least four years Mm. or more to really happen. And so it was a rumor for a long time. But they uh, were given people with high seniority, they were giving them a year off with full pay. Mm. So he took the year off with full pay. His mother and dad were both sick. They lived up here. So that worked out perfect for that. Then his mother died. He went back to work for just a short time. And then he, he uh, they had the big buyout and all kinds of reasons to go before the place fell. And uh, so he did. And that must have been, wow, 2000. He was retired a long time before I was retired. Tell me about that decline for the Janesville plant, at least from your vo- your viewpoint on it. Well, it had gradually been laying people off. It went from 7,000 employees at one time down to, I think, like 3,000. And uh, just things were just going bad, and people knew something was up. You know, the the foreign car industry was burying the American car industry. And it was, in a car town, you really felt that. You really developed this, uh, you drive a foreign car and you don't park in my driveway attitude because it took the jobs. Sure. So that's what it was gradually changing into. And uh, we knew that it was going to close eventually and that everything had go to the bottom. So we bailed out about mm, maybe three years ahead of it. We bailed out, sold our house. It took almost a year to sell our house, but we sold it right before everything dropped. And we had our, our cabin up here. So that's where we were living in our old cabin until we had our household. That must have been pretty scary to think that you had to make that leap at such a young age. <sighs> well... You know, to be honest, it really wasn't that scary because that was a good job. They had a fantastic pension. They had a fantastic uh, sharing, you know, 401k, whatever plan where where mm-hmm. he got in that early on. And so he had decades in, involved in that. So he was like prepared to go without that job if we had to, as long as everything was paid for. Mm -hmm. And my job was a very good job. Um, I didn't have a pension. He had a pension, but I, uh, where I worked, they had a defined benefit pension plan where they put all the money in. And it was based on your age when you left and the number of years you worked there, how much you got in a lump sum. Being prepared made it okay to do it. And our land up here was paid for, and we knew we'd sell our house, and we were going to build a little house up here. Mm-hmm. Well, that changed. For for people who were prepared, and you can tell who those you could tell who those people were, mm-hmm. because one thing about the difference between Reedsburg and Janesville, in Janesville, mo- almost everybody knew what everybody made. Because it was a big industrial town with the UAW in almost all the factories. Mm -hmm. So everybody was making about the same, and there wasn't social ladder BS. Sure, the money was transparent right? because of the union. Right, and so you could tell the people that were using their money right and the people that were wasting their money. And then we came up here, and it was a culture shock. 
to coming back to my hometown kind of became a shock because you didn't dare say the word union. And we were strong union people. We, you didn't dare talk about how much money you made. You didn't dare ask anybody how much an hour they made or how much does the foundry pay or anything like that. That was taboo, and I had to learn that the hard way. But I picked up on it, and so I quit talking about this stuff, and I thought, you know, you people are missing the boat. But it's too late now because it's crippled all over the country, you know. You guys are fortunate that you were working jobs that still treated people the way that they did. Right. In in pensions and in retirement. Right. There's not too much of that happening anymore. No, not at all. So when you were looking at your neighbors who were... Buying every toy under the sun and financing it at Blackhawk Credit Union. <laughs> it must have been hard, though, for them probably then, as they thought the job would always be there. A lot of people that I knew didn't realize it at first because for people with low seniority, GM was offering them a buyout at the when they were closing. A buyout, which means they gave up their insurance, they they gave up all their little perks for $180,000. And people heard that number, forgot about the, the insurance, mm-hmm. and thought, I can live on that with my pension. But their pension was low sure. because they weren't old enough to retire. So it was adjusted down. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were just flying high when GM bought them out and the doors closed and they had all this money and now it is a very sad situation for a lot of those people. That's interesting. How old were you again when you moved to Janesville? I was 18. Where did you work prior to that? Did you have an after-school job anywhere here in Reedsburg? Yeah. I worked at Saltman's Cafe, which is Greenwood's. Okay. And I started out as a dishwasher, me and Roberta Templin. Roberta was a year older than me, and we were just really good friends. And she babysat for uh, Jimmy Siemenson. Um, He's a Down syndrome man. Now he's still alive. She babysat for him and his little brother, Carl, who was a foster child who had been abused as an, as an infant, and he was mentally destroyed, the poor thing. Mm-hmm. And so she, when she couldn't babysit, I would babysit for Carl and Jimmy. And then Roberta did dishes at the restaurant, and so when she couldn't do them, I would do dishes at the restaurant, and that was my job. And... Uh, Working for Eddie Saltman, probably one of the nicest human beings in this town. He was just a riot. And then I became a waitress and uh, stayed. I saved all the money I could from my job at Saltman's Cafe, put it in the bank, and saved up for my wedding. I remember just diligently doing that from the pittance of money you were making then, but it was enough. Mm -hmm. And I did it without help from anybody. So that was a a badge of honor, you know. So I have to wonder then, was Roberta your maid of honor? No, no, Roberta. it seemed like you were very close. (laughs) We were very close. Um, Roberta married Tom Geeman, and they got married 
after we did, but she went away to college, and so I lost Roberta when she went away to college. Mm. Um, and I honestly have not seen Roberta since Saltman's Cafe, um, and I would love to, but I can't find her. I, I, you know, you hear things like she passed away, or and I can't find an obituary, but mm-hmm. I don't know. After she divorced Tom, I don't know what her married name became, mm-hmm. so I just can't track her. There are a couple of different. I know that you're big on on history and on genealogy, so I try. I'm in, by no means a professional mm-hmm. at anything, but with genealogy, I'm curious mm-hmm. to the point where I start making a family tree and I get so screwed up because everybody's named Marie, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what? And But I have gotten my family's background from Alsace-Lorraine over in France. Wow. And um, I, I just find the things I can find and that's as far as I go. I don't delve into it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and for history, you know, I never knew I liked history very much until I thought history was boring in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, no interest whatsoever. I would write. I wrote for the school newspaper. I had a column called Barb Winkle's Corner. Oh, how funny. Because it Bullwinkle and sure. the squirrel, you know, mm-hmm. of the day. And, um, but no thoughts of history. And then, in 1976, we bought our old log cabin on Hackbarth Road, mm-hmm. where we are now. And But it wasn't a log cabin then. It was an old, white, wood-sided house, awful house full of mice. And the, the old cellar underneath was at least three feet deep with beer cans, <laughs> empties. And the guy who lived there would drink at the table, flip the can out the window behind him, and it would fall down the stairs into the base. (laughs) (laughs) So, but this guy was a sure-tail relative of Evans, Mm -hmm. and and his nickname was Barney Google. (laughs) And um, so we found out that that was for sale for $6,500, 15 acres and a house. Wow. And we bought it. And Evan was out west... On a, on a hunting trip, on an elk hunting trip, and me and my girlfriend uh, went up to the cabin. We had a camper up there because the cabin was so full of mice, you, mm-hmm. couldn't, you could never sit. And we found a couple crowbars, and we started prying on the old white siding, mm-hmm. and underneath it were logs. And by the time Evan got home from his hunting trip, we had one whole side stripped off of siding. And when I saw him, I said, guess what we're going to (laughs) do? And he worked on that place every free time, every weekend. We were were up here almost every weekend for, Mm -hmm. for, till we moved here. He worked on it. He made it beautiful. Inside and out. He just, you know, he started to love it. He fell in love with it. And I always say those old log cabins, they'll get you if Mm -hmm. you spend any time in them. And then one day a man stopped by the cabin and said his ancestor had built the cabin. And his last name was Andres, E-N-D-R-E-S-S. Okay. And uh, uh, 
it was 300 acres then. He had homesteaded it and built it. And then it, in, in the old records, it said he died of consumption. And uh, then other people that lived in the cabin, one was uh, the granddaughter of the Sorge, who had the Sorge Creamery. Okay. And that was way back in the 1890s. His granddaughter lived there. And uh, do you remember the old house that was where Park Place is right now? The old red brick house that Marty Kennecke owned? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. okay. I lived, I grew up uh, at 128 North Park, which adjoined the back of that house and the Ford garage and all that. So that old house was owned by Emma Terry and and Ruby Bass lived in it too. Mm-hmm. And so the internet had come around And so I was able to find out more things. And somehow I ran across the name Bass. I think I went in a genealogy site and asked about Ruby Bass. Sure. And I got a call from a guy one day in Janesville. And he said, I'm Ruby Bass's great nephew. And we used to stay in that little cabin with our grandma before World War II. Hmm. And so we made friends. And they own... Park Printing in, okay. in Middleton, I okay. think Okay, yep, is. I've heard of that company. Yeah, and then I get a call later on um, that he's been driving by it every time they were up in this area, and they loved what we had done with it, and they were so happy, and I could just tell they loved that old building. Mm-hmm. And so in 2005, when we moved up here and we're living in the cabin, I got a call from him, and he said, would you mind letting... Us use your cabin for one afternoon. I'm having all my relatives from all over the United States here for a family reunion, and I want to show them the cabin where my fondest memories are. And I said, no problem at all. Bring them up. Well, the day they did, there were cars from Texas and Virginia and Utah, and all these people get out, and they had picnic baskets, and and they took over our old cabin and the ground, the lawn and had a picnic. And we stayed most of the time and visited with them. And, and the old guy that was contact, contacting me all the time, he was would be over by a, a log, one of the end logs, and he'd rub it. He'd just rub it and look at it and rub it like, like he was connecting with it or sure. something, you know. And I said to him, just exactly, you know, what was that log? What were you doing? And he said, well, the last time I was here, he said, was right before my best friend went into World War II, went into the Army in World War II. And he said, we stayed here, him and I, and we, on the, from the lawn, we were shooting golf balls down the hill trying to get him to the creek. And he said, we had so much fun that weekend. And the next week, his friend left for the army and his friend never came back oh sure and so for him visiting that old log cabin and obviously he recognized a log or he knew where they had stood a lot or who knows what and it it took him back to the days when his friend was there how interesting and he probably never thought that he'd see that again i don't think he did i don't think he did because uh, he remembered it as a log cabin, and sometime in the 40s, it was sided over with old white wooden 
siding. It was ugly and it was rotting. And in, had they never sided it, the logs would have been in perfect condition. But the north side retained moisture. And so the log logs were starting to, you know, rot mm -hmm. from the outside in. That inspired me even more about history. And that inspired me to write about people. And so, and without even knowing it, you know, I just, I just was drawn to stories about people. I love knowing what used to be where in Reedsburg. And I can sit at the outside table at the Deli Bean, and look across at the Park Place, and I see the Ford Garage and two houses. And I see a little wall. It's little now, a little stone wall behind the parking lot of Park Place. That was my backyard. That was the wall, the retaining wall that went up onto the higher lawn. And there was a little rock store, a stairway there. And so after I moved up here, I went over there after they built that building. I thought, I hope something's left or I hope something fell on the ground and I find it, you know. <laughs> but the wall was still there and I stood by it. And I'm way taller than it is. And I thought, well, they must have took some rocks out of it. But no, I was very short when I was little. <laughs> you had grown. That rock wall to you, it sounds like, was what that log was to that gentleman. That's exactly right. We recently learned some things about my family. Nothing really big. But I, I thought I would take the time. And we had very little to go on. Uh, in my family, things don't go very far past my grandmother on my mother's side. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was born in 1913, and she was of the generation that said, that's in the past, we don't talk about that. Oh. I don't know if you ever had any um, of that in your family or not. No. But she was not very <clears throat> forthcoming. And I started using just the, the, the open sites that are available to anybody and I was able to see some uh, census some census counts which of course are only 10 years mm -hmm. and some birth certificates and some marriage certificates and some death certificates and I was able to piece together a very interesting story unfortunately there's so many gaps mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. things that are kind of important to us and especially because we live in a time where you can you can let people know your every move. Mm -hmm. It seems weird that there would be gaps of years where you don't know anything about somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you'll see something like, oh, they they had a child or mm -hmm. oh, they got married or they went to the war. Mm -hmm. I have a great uncle who who I don't think ever raised any higher than private first class, but he's buried in a military cemetery. I never even oh. knew he existed until I really? found out about him. Oh, good. But I compared it when talking with Lori about it. I compared it to kind of like unraveling a knot or a sweater, and you just pull at the thread, mm -hmm. and more of it keeps mm -hmm. coming. And Very you, true. You can't help but get excited when you start finding. I mean, when these people start becoming real people to you, right, right, and you right. feel this connection to them, right. You'll you'll never you'll never talk to them. You'll never know them. Mm -hmm. You'll never see them, but now you have this this thing that connects you to them, and you know them, in right. a, in a mysterious way. That exact thing happened to me several times when I was 
involved with the log village. I became obsessed with finding out who owned those fantastic things. And I started opening up trunks and boxes that had never been opened. And books up above the library that had been stashed up there and forgotten for decades. And I, I became obsessed with knowing these people. And so that's why I put my heart and soul into that place. It was somewhat selfish, maybe, because when I would be out there cleaning these old things and holding them and looking at them and trying to figure out what they were or who the people were that wore them, and then I'd go out on the Internet and I'd look for some of those people, and I, I did get some replies back saying, well, an old rocking chair, for example, it's in the Ligman cabin, and it's got a, a woven seat, and it's, it's a primitive old rocking chair. And I was cleaning that cabin one day, and I thought, I'm going to move that rocking chair into the other room so that there's more room in the little bedroom to walk around. I picked it up, and now this is going to sound weird, but it is honest. I picked it up, and a jolt went up my arm, and something brushed my face, and I just like stopped and I thought, okay, did I like pinch a nerve in my elbow and did a piece of my hair fall out of my ponytail and hit me in the face? Probably. Then I turned the chair over and underneath that chair was a, a someone thought to label it. Thank God. Very few things are labeled. Under that chair, it said, chair given to Bell Bass for her work as a housemaid. And I don't remember the name of the family, but they lived out in Winfield, okay. Bell Bass. So I went on the internet and I started asking, does anybody know anything about Bell Bass from about 1900, a young girl who worked for somebody in the town of Winfield? I found them, wow. the people, and they live right in Reedsburg. And they contacted me and said, that was our great, great aunt. And yes, that's what she did. She worked as a young girl, 11 years old, for this family, helping in the house, like people farmed their kids out to do then. And he made her that chair as her payment. Were they aware that the chair was there? I'm not sure on that, because they came out right away. I mean, they and they brought people their family and looked at it so someone probably knew because someone a long time ago donated it mm -hmm. and it probably was like their grandma or whatever and she never said anything so th through this bizarre pinched nerve in my elbow and my wild imagination I connected these people with that chair and I don't that know. was a that was big for me oh I would imagine I don't know that it's the more rational people want to dismiss things for having a practical reason behind why they experienced it. And sometimes, sure, it's easy to dismiss things based on practicality. It's a pinch in your elbow or your <laughs> ponytail brush. But I'm a believer that there are times when somebody or this is, again, at the risk of getting way out there, the energy from some people can maybe manifest in some of their favorite things mm -hmm. or something that they're connected with. And 
you can pick up that thing that meant something to them, a musical instrument or a writing implement or a favorite chair, where mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of energy transference and feel that connection. Part of the reason why I think that's true is if you ever go into an abandoned house mm-hmm. when there's not people there any longer, first off, the home dies when mm-hmm. there's not people there. Mm-hmm. So I really feel like like the energy from the people, and of course, there's the moisture from breathing and, and uh-huh. the warmth and whatever else and skin follicles. But um, <laughs> the energy, I think, from the people helps keep that, that home or that building alive. And when they're not there, it very rapidly falls into decay. It does. It does. There's two old houses that I've done that in. The The one that my Grandma Deco and Grandpa Deco lived in, and that just got torn down maybe 10 years ago. Um, I went in there, and it, it had been vacant forever and ever, and it was a log cabin on the inside with all these cobble dick additions added to the outside. Mm-hmm. And I went upstairs where a room that I remembered And I think I was about five years old the last time I ever went to that house because then my grandma died. And I went upstairs and I was looking at the wallpaper and I thought, I've seen this wallpaper before. You know, it's all curled and fallen off. But Mm -hmm. and so I took big sheets of this wallpaper, took it home with me. And then when my cousins who were older than me came up from Milwaukee, I said, what does this look like to you? And they said, well, that looks like the old wallpaper that grandma had upstairs. And so to me, that wallpaper, the the taste, the style of that wallpaper um, connected me with a grandmother I only knew till I was five years old, and she was sick for probably a year of that. Hmm. And you know, to see what she liked. I thought, well, she liked this design and she made it pretty in this old house. You know, that opened up a little teeny window to somewhere I'd been once, but hadn't hadn't seen forever. And the other house was one of Evan's old second or third cousins. We helped clean that house out when they both went into the nursing home. And, um, I didn't know those people at all. They weren't my relatives. They were Evans. And so I was, you know, I I didn't work very fast because I was looking at everything and and analyzing and thinking, I wonder, you know, I wonder who read this book or I wonder who, you know, who worked in this kitchen. I wonder what they did over here, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten permission to go into it because it's owned by someone else now. And I've gotten permission. I haven't gone into it yet. But one day I was driving by, and it was near sunset. And I was driving by, and as I went by, the second story was illuminated. And the lower story was dark, and there's no electricity in Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But it wasn't dark yet. So I, I thought, well, that's the sun shining through a hole in the roof, lighting up that upstairs. So I parked my car, I went out. Photograph, 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 all the windows, the doors, went home, loaded in in my computer, 
And honest to God, there are faces looking out of those windows if you let your mind see them. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know the man, one man who lived there in the 1950s, he had... He was a very intelligent man, and he worked with the Army as a civilian ham radio operator during World War II. Very intelligent man, and he happened to decide he wanted a girlfriend, and she was a Catholic, and his mother shamed him to death and sent him away to a, a hospital up north, and they did a lobotomy. And there are letters where he... His writing was impeccable before that date. Mm -hmm. And then there are letters afterwards, and it looks like a, a kindergartner wrote it. And he wound up being so depressed when he came back home to the farm that he, the day him and his dad came to town, came to Reesburg to get haircuts. Mm -hmm. His dad was in getting his haircut, and William went out on the railroad bridge, tied a brick to his leg, and jumped in the river. Wow. How sad is that? Yeah. <laughs> Just because his girlfriend was a Catholic. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a glimpse right into the, from the 1900s right up to probably the end of the 50s. That old-time thinking was mm. very powerful when that generation of people was still alive. Sure. and But it was the way they were raised, and, you know, it's the way they were in Germany, and they left Germany because they couldn't practice the religion they wanted to, so they came here and became just as domineering here as they had lived under in Germany. I mean, it's you can kind of understand that part of history. Now, you had mentioned that your genealogy research had gotten your family tree back to France. Mm -hmm. How many generations were here in the United States? My great-grandma and grandpa and five sons and one daughter came to America f fleeing conscription because the Germans were coming in to take over that part of France. Okay, Alsace-Lorraine became... German for a while. I don't know what it is now, but I don't think it even exists anymore. But they fled the conscription. They didn't, she didn't, the mother, Marie, didn't want her boys being taken into the German army. So they f came on a ship over to New York before Ellis Island was there. Okay. It was called Castle Garden. Mm -hmm. And they came through Castle Garden and got on a train. The train was in Wisconsin by then, and they rode the train out to Pearson Road out by Ironton, and her brother had come years before and bought the land, and they got here and built the house and built the barn and raised a family. Grandpa Deco, and then it was his dad. Yeah, because Grandpa Deco was the only one born in the United States. He was born on the farm. And then... His generation, my grandpa's generation, I can't find hardly anything about his wife, who was named Blanche Schilling, and she was from up by Canada. And there's a dead end on finding information on her for some reason, but the Deco side, we could, we could go pretty far back. And I did make friends with a woman, Louise Volentz, from France, and she did some genealogy searching for me there. 
And one year I was in Belgium, and I smuggled home some phone books <laughs> <laughs> with the name Deco in it. And I was going to call them while I was there. But I thought, you know, my French is so limited that I don't know if I could have carried on a conversation and I, I felt too uncomfortable. So I never called them. But to this day, I feel like I missed an opportunity. I should have tried it. So your great-grandparents couldn't at that point get any further away from where they were than Wisconsin, for sure, if this is as far as the railroad went then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where was the farm at? Well, um, you know where Harji's implement is up on the hill there? Well, Absolutely. that site right there was where the school was that all... My dad had 11 sisters and one brother. So those 13 kids went to school right up there where Harji's is. Um, and then if you go down the hill, it's called Pearson Road. Okay. And it's way down and it curves and the driveway goes down even deeper. And all that's left there is the barn. And then there's a new house that was built on the side. But when, when I was little, it was a long driveway down to the house and the barn and, and the swing in the tree. And behind the house was a spring house, which is still there. I saw the foundation, but I didn't go t into it. It was so overgrown. Um, and it had always been that way since the, the great-grandparents had built it because they built all that stuff. Interesting. Mm -hmm. When did they flood or... I guess, create Lake Redstone. Do you know when that was? It was in the 60s. Um, I was still living in Reedsburg when they started it, but mm. I had no interest in it because it was up there. Um, it didn't affect <laughs> any of your family's no, land at all? No, They were no. too far out from, from where that no, was? No, they were towards Ironton and... Uh, oh, sure. Um, Lake Redstone is in the Big Creek area. Mm -hmm. And I asked my oldest aunt, she's 98, I said... Do you remember when you were young? Do you remember knowing the people in the Big Creek area where Lake Redstone is? Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, we didn't like those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I dropped it. <laughs> I didn't want to know why. <laughs> so when you were younger and living in Reedsburg and you said you moved away in sometime in the mid-60s mm -hmm. to, to, to go to Janesville, Give me a little insight of what it was like in Reedsburg growing up as a teenager in the early 60s. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I I made a point of being involved in everything in school that I could. Mm -hmm. The band, the plays, everything, because I loved school. And this was at Webb. At Webb. Yeah, I loved school. I played trombone in the band for four years. And I have amazing stories of playing trombone in the band. Who would ever think you could have a story about playing trombone, but believe me, I do. I have a friend who <laughs> majored in trombone <laughs> in college, so... Yeah, it's it's a fun instrument. And that was after I learned how to play accordion. So, <laughs> but... Um, and there was Phil's Cozy Corner, down where the theater is, and uh, Webb Avenue was a drag strip at lunch hour for people like Evan Steinhorst who would <laughs> race up and down Webb Avenue, drag race. There wasn't a stop sign at the end. I think part of that is why the stop sign was put on the end. Um, the, everybody went to the theater. Mm -hmm. 
every weekend. You went to the theater and everybody was there. And on Friday nights, you walked up and down Main Street and it was solid people. They were shopping because it was the only night of the week that the stores were open till nine. And so people were shopping and they got their paychecks and they were they were buying things and they were going to the popcorn stand and their kids were at the show and there was a million taverns and they were full. <laughs> there was, my mother worked in Touchdown Tavern. It was um, Adelman's Tavern and the group, uh, uh, I think, I can't remember what the name of the restaurant side, but you know where the room is divided. Sure. The left side was a restaurant and along that back wall was a long counter and it was all tables, and those two big windows were there. Mm -hmm. She was a waitress in there. And the bar was a tavern. Um, Fred's Bar was a tavern. Mm -hmm. um, Club 33 was a tavern. I mean, sure, they, they sure. weren't places where you'd go and eat. Hmm. You just went and drank. The taverns were taverns. And this idea of a bar and grill didn't really exist other than maybe down at, at Adelman's. And then the, the restaurant closed a long time mm -hmm. ago, and it just became a tavern. So um, it's way different than it is now, way different. When was the, and it might have been after the 60s, I remember that there was a drive-in movie theater on the east side of, of this yeah, town. Yeah, that was there when I was a kid. It was. And it was... They're clear up until whenever they made the trailer court there. I don't remember when. Which, I didn't live here then, so it was in the 60s or beyond. And, uh, yeah, we used to go to the the show. That must have seemed like out of town at, it at was. that point. <laughs> there weren't any lights out there because there wasn't anything out there. And you mentioned Club 33. That must have seemed way out of town yeah. back then. Yeah, yep. Club 33, somebody should do a history on that place because um, I think there is one there. Uh, my mother would never set foot in a bar. My dad went to the bar every Friday night. And Friday night then was, was businesses were open. People were done with their work week. They were letting off some steam. Everybody was, was getting together. What would you say the population of Reedsburg was at that point? Do you remember? Hmm. Just no, not positive. Maybe twenty five hundred, three thousand, something like that. Because I remember in the late in the seventies, I remember driving into town from the cabin and seeing the population sign, and I remember the thought going through my head, "Oh, that's a mile." <laughs> so it must have been five thousand two hundred eighty people. Interesting. <laughs> I do remember. I do remember in the seventies when. Reedsburg was 6,000. Okay. And, it, and it appeared like it was 6,000 for a long time. Yeah. It didn't grow for a long time. Now, to think that 2,500 people in this town, you had to know everybody, didn't you? Well, pretty close to it. If I didn't know them, they knew my dad or my mother knew them or, you know, everybody did know everybody's family, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and they were all different social levels. Mm -hmm. They're, I don't remember. Other than having to sing for Mr. Worth in order to get candy on Halloween, he was the only stodgy old rich man we knew. <laughs> <laughs> and he was over there by the funeral home, by the park. But um, That no, was the rich part of town at one point. Yeah, 
yeah, surrounding uh, Park surrounding Park Street. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Park in City Park. You mm-hmm. may as well say because mm-hmm. I lived from my sister being two years old, so that would have been 1954. I lived in that same house until I moved away and got married. Mm-hmm. So everything that happened on Main Street, I was standing on the corner, leaning on the light pole, watching. Sure. Um, City Park was my yard. The swings were my swings. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, this was my, that that area right there was my world. And um, those memories never went away. Those memories in my mind are so clear that I can, I can almost feel what it was like to be swinging in that swing. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you still dream about it? I I've never dreamt about it. Interesting. But in my consciousness, mm-hmm. I do get reminded of something, and then I go right back and I go into detail. Sure. You know, and and I don't do that. It just does it itself. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I have dreams of my childhood home. I I lived in the same home from when I was a baby until I was 16 before we moved here to Reedsburg. And I, I I can't say that it's every night, but regularly I still dream about that. There's something about it that imprints itself in you those early years. Yep. yep. And for me, sometimes it's a song, or they say that your sense of smell will, will bring you back sometimes. Yes, for me. Mm-hmm. The, the um, blacksmith shop that used to be right by where the theater is. Sure. There was a blacksmith shop there. We lived across, the, well, across the street. Mm-hmm. And when you went out on Main Street, you could smell the blacksmith shop. And so I'd go across the street, and it's pitch black inside there except for the fire, you see, and I'd just stand in the door and watch. And I hadn't smelled that smell for decades. And I was at Old World, Wisconsin on a tour, and I was walking the little village and the blacksmith was working and I stepped in the door and I was overwhelmed with that smell that mm-hmm. I hadn't smelled for 50, 40 years, 50 years. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I had two sisters. My one sister died when she was 39 years old. Um, but when I was little, there were three girls. Mm-hmm. Becky, Eileen, and me. <laughs> With a community of of less than 3,000 people, I would assume that it must have felt safe. It must have felt like everybody knew everybody else to a certain extent. Right. You mentioned that there was a grouchy old guy, so you didn't necessarily go over there (laughs) near near his yard if you could help it. We seriously respected him. Sure. (laughs) Sure. But by and large, my mother, for example, who grew up on the south side of Chicago, if something happened to her at school, by the time she got home, the four or six blocks that she walked, her mother already knew about it because of the network, oh, the grapevine, the, sure. the gossip, whatever. Sure. I would imagine that this town was similar in so much as if you were in an area that you shouldn't have been in, like maybe your parents said, don't go over by the dam or something like that, <laughs> that they knew about it by the time you got home, mm-hmm. that Barb was over by the dam. Uh-huh. You had to feel like you owned the town at that age. Well, you were so familiar with it, and you'd never been scolded or scared away or threatened. 
You were just a little kid who lived in the town who never wore shoes and, you know, summer was carefree. You knew people who worked in stores, you'd go in and talk to them when you were little. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was very idyllic, I would say. Even now, I will still see young boys riding their bicycle with their fishing pole and their tackle box. That I like. And yes, it it really harkens back. Now, I've only lived in this town for 30 years. Um, And like I mentioned, in the 70s, we used to vacation up in this area. And we we had neighbors who lived two doors away from us in an apartment building in Chicago. And they originally were from the Casanova area. Oh. So that was how we found this area. And then sure. of course, as we got older, the the allure of the Wisconsin Dells mm-hmm. and all that excitement mm-hmm. was part of it. So we were able to come to this area and stay around here. And we did get to see Reedsburg grow. We got to see when Viking Village went in yep. place. And mm-hmm. uh, we remember Ted and Fred's and we remember Rosie's Dream and, yep. and those things. Yep. The old bridge, the yep. concrete bridge. Yep, where kids got their heads stuck in between the... I never knew that. <laughs> yes, they did. They would. So so <laughs> I do have some of that history, but of course, only being here annually. Mm-hmm. Once a year, we would come. Mm-hmm. And those changes probably seemed really big to us at the time. I remember mm-hmm. when there was one stoplight in the town. You mm-hmm. probably remember when mm-hmm. there wasn't any <laughs> <None>. at all. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see a small town grow I feel, and, and, and I don't want to maybe get too negative about this, but I feel as though Reedsburg is now growing at a rate that it's not capable of handling in some ways. We're at, what is the population now, 12,000? Yeah, I think so. And that's that's 10,000 more people than when you were a kid here. And the people that lived here back then when I was a kid were all from here. Sure. They came from the farms into town. You know, they they were all from somewhere close by. You rarely, rarely saw a, a license plate from out of Wisconsin. Now, when I go to the grocery store, I'll still see people I know, of course. But it's it's not uncommon to be somewhere and look around and say to yourself, I don't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody in this in uh-huh. this store, or uh-huh. I don't know anybody in this this park. Or mm-hmm. to some extent, it's it's nice because it shows that there's some interest in the area. And sometimes, when you have new people in the area, it brings about new ideas and and new viewpoints. There's really nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, no, not at all. And it's good in a way. You know, you couldn't stay isolated in this little town and and then go somewhere and not even have a clue how to live or how to what to do or what anything was. It was pretty isolated, as were a number of these small towns in this area, in, mm-hmm. in, in Sauk County. Well, of course, as you go further north. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a very good friend of mine is a mail carrier, and he does a rural route mm-hmm. in this area, and he's based out of the Reedsburg Post Office. And he said that for a number of those people, he is still their connection to the outside world and they get irate when he's behind or (laughs) he must have been talking about my dad (laughs) (laughs) 
and and they still count on him. They count on him for yeah. the newspaper delivery. They count on him for for whatever correspondence they're getting. And it's there is still some of that um, quaintness in the area, which is nice. Yeah. But yep. it is it is a town that's growing and it is experiencing its growing pains. There's yep. no doubt about it. But the world is different today, too. Sure. I mean, the attitudes. We didn't know anything about anything from television. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably wouldn't know too much about the outer world if it hadn't been for National Geographic magazine. Sure. You know, really, uh, it was just... It was just here. It was just Reedsburg. And this is where you were born and you played and you made friends and you worked and, you know, it It was very nice. And honestly, when I think about the difference now, I feel sad for little children that, and they'll, they won't know the difference, so it's not going to be mentally stifling to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, to see having to be so afraid that you have to keep an eye on your little children every second, everywhere you go. You know, people have fears now that didn't exist then. No fears. No, the only thing I ever was afraid of was that the Goodyear blimp went over our house and I was outside playing and it scared me so bad I crawled under a bush and I thought it was a flying saucer. (laughs) (laughs) So Evan got a a job offer. You moved to Janesville. Janesville at that time was probably three times the size of Reedsburg, if not more, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Um, It probably was in the 20,000s. Oh, goodness. So 10 times the size population. Yeah, but there wasn't a mall there when we moved there. Everything was downtown. Hmm. And the downtown wasn't one street. It was several big streets with every kind of store. And I remember walking from my house to downtown Janesville on a Friday night Mm -hmm. with Val and Stroller and shopping downtown. And then years later, well, Val was probably about two when they started building the mall out on the east side. And uh, from that point on, at first the mall was really cool and really was a neat thing, and the downtown still was going, but eventually the downtown died and the mall took over, and then things changed there. And then General Motors brought in 2,500 people from Indiana from a plant that closed there, and so... All of a sudden, the town was full of strangers, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, even when it was 20,000 people and we first moved there, we knew so many people because 7,000 people worked at GM and everybody sure. knew everybody. So it didn't, really, it didn't really hit you as much of a culture shock because in a manner of speaking, you still had that small town connection because of GM. And because of the small town people that were there. Sure. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, and then we'd come up here, and honestly, for decades, we'd come up here, and I'd see somebody, and I'd have to go, okay, do I know him from Janesville, or do I know him from Reedsburg? I mean, it was very, I was confused by that, because I couldn't keep the two lives separate, the two towns. Sure, You know, because we lived there during the week, we're at the cabin after 1976, we were there every weekend. Mm -hmm. So, uh... Yeah, it got a little confusing. Then, honestly, 
we lived up here for a while um, and we had no, no, Val and Tara were not up here. They right. were in Janesville. Right. And when they moved up here and I would be walking in a store and I would see them, I'd have to stop and think, where am I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why sure. are they here? Sure. Because I just couldn't accept the fact that they lived in Reedsburg. How weird. That is strange. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? I live here, mother. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Val there, and in, this is in Janesville. You had Val in Janesville, and Val grew to adulthood in Janesville. Yep. Janesville's Val's hometown. Sure. But she's not connected to it in the same way she is with Reedsburg because ever since she was born, we were up here every weekend. Sure. At the cabin. Mm-hmm. She was like six, I think, when we bought the cabin. Um, and so she grew up up here in the country mm-hmm. and knew a few kids in town. And so they'd go out in town every now and then with teenage kids from around here. So she didn't have to really go through a brand new town syndrome at all. She, she was, had the best of both worlds. Right. Right. She had the she had the urban living and education in right. Janesville. Yeah. And then weekends almost like weekend camp. Yeah. Here. Exactly. And with Tara, she's twenty one now. Grew up all she ever knew was Janesville in her life. Um, all her childhood was in Janesville. And but yet she was up here as a little kid playing outside in the mm-hmm. country and going to the Dells and going to every single thing that happened in Reedsburg, Loganville, or Rock Springs. We went to every parade. We were like the biggest cheerleaders for events in Sauk County that you could ever have wanted because we never missed a thing. We would plan it ahead. And so now that Tara is living here as a young adult, she prefers here. How interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably very comfortable for her here. Mm-hmm. So the big city is really quite big now and and changing, and that scares her down there. Where up here, it's small enough and slow enough that she has adjusted to all kinds of people. Work has worked in the Dell since she's been here and. She's adjusted to international people, you know, and and it's all right here in the safety of Webb Avenue. It's still very small. And yet, as we've mentioned, because of the growth in this town, it's become quite diverse. Right. So so her opportunities to be around multicultural people are here that weren't afforded to people here even when we were here 40 years ago right and the other thing in Janesville she entertained in Janesville did a lot of the same things she's tried to do up here from nine years old on and a lot of people knew her and and recognized her and um that was good but most of the people never heard of you know there, there were too many people they didn't know who anybody was and up here, she can do the same things, but she knows everybody in the crowd, and that makes her comfortable. Sure. So it's it's all, I guess, what you came from, how you accept Reedsburg of today. I tend to regress to the old Reedsburg as being my favorite. 
but I like it now too. I like some of the new things that have come here and the, and the, uh, the interest in art. I mean, it's like, man, it's like dragging an elephant <laughs> to try to get people. It seemed that way through the years to get people interested in something other than sports. And so that's opening up gradually. And I like the people that come here for those things. And, you know, there are probably people who won't agree with me, but I do feel that Fermentation Fest did a lot for Reedsburg. For the interest, not for people moving in or businesses or anything like that, other than spending money, but for being recognized as being a pretty cool little city, little town. To big city people, it's a little town. Sure. And those people come back. And they come back because they've seen things on the way through the first time that, that caught their eye and they want to come back and see it again. And, you know, I think that's fantastic to know that there are a lot of city people that returned to Reedsburg because they saw something they liked, not because they got a job here, not because they have a business here. Mm-hmm. Because they saw something they like and they wanted to come back and experience it again. We have to remind ourselves sometimes in my family when things don't seem as progressive as we would like to see them. Art, music, events. Those weren't really the reasons why we came here. Mm -hmm. We came here because growing up in Chicago, it was nice to be here where you didn't have to lock the car doors. It was nice to be here where you could walk down the street and people would smile and say hello to you, whom you, you didn't know at all. Right. It was nice to be in a safe community. By and large, I believe that's still the case for mm-hmm. Reedsburg. I feel that this town is still, comparatively speaking, safe. You have to be a little more cautious, sure. but it's safer. Sure. And so the trade-off with that is that maybe you don't have a lot of options when it comes to art, culture, food, music, and you have to make those things happen. And you can't expect everybody to get on board right away either. Right. It does take some time for that. When we had the business, the coffee shop, we had opened up right before Fermentation Festival, and that might have been the second Fermentation Festival officially. And... It just slammed us with how busy it was. Mm-hmm. And then they moved it up a little bit because it was maybe second or, th- well, it was probably third week in October at that point. Yeah. They moved up to the first or second yeah, now. Yeah, for better weather. It, it's, it was a smart move. And it doesn't really um, conflict with anything else. And we would say it would really be nice to have fermentation festival every month. And <laughs> yeah, it's true. But what would be nicer would be to have the town known to be the place for something like that, not necessarily that. And I think that that there are some some positive movements in that direction. But like you said, it's like dragging an elephant. And so it's it takes some time for that to catch on. I think that there are more things to look at and to see in this town, and, and there all there always was. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but I think that gaining some 
perspective on this town as you walk through it and looking at things differently. And wow, that is really beautiful architecture on this downtown building. Or, oh my goodness, this was built in the 1890s mm-hmm. when the railroad was coming through here, obviously. And and gaining an appreciation for the town as what it is before putting in art installations and having these events, I think that's hap- that's definitely happening. I think people right. are, are, are gaining an appreciation for what the town is. A lot of people needed to see other people appreciating things they never thought about and they're learning from the people that are a little more worldly coming through. They're learning from them why those things are so important. Now, Reedsburg doesn't have a devil's lake. It doesn't have a circus. It doesn't have a square. But it's got some mighty creative people. It's got beautiful architecture. It's got festival after festival. And those festivals, as they go on, they they improve. It makes for a unique place to visit. You don't come to go camping. You come to see artists, hear music, you know, that kind of thing. Go drive in the country. You can drive for miles and miles all day long and not have to spend a penny other than gas if you don't want to. And you are being treated to amazing scenery and and little shops out in the country and little bakeries and little towns that might have a little bitty art gallery that's just full of little kids stuff but still it's unique it is you don't want to be a copycat because we don't have the big tourist draws and we don't necessarily need that because there's a whole world of people who aren't like the typical Dells tourists mm-hmm. they like the silent sports the the quiet art the music of all sorts there's a whole world full of those people and i think it's getting more more popular all the time because you you just the idea of tying the country in with the town is amazing because there's a million people who never set foot on a farm and they would travel to do that if the price was right, the distance was right, and they didn't have to, and they had other things they could do. Sure. They could bring their family. I mean, we're like offering a natural experience with creative people adding the frosting on the cupcake. Part of that comes from, as you mentioned, this new diversity and new sets of eyes, not only from the people who are coming here annually for the fermentation festival or for any other event that they might be coming to Reedsburg for, but also having new people as residents of the town mm-hmm. and, and viewing the town with, with new eyes. Mm-hmm. Whenever I get frustrated, which I do get frustrated <laughs> with um, the rate of progress in this town, I simply take a drive and within two minutes in any direction, in this beautiful countryside, I remember why we came here to begin with. Mm-hmm. If out here on on um, Highway K going towards Mauston, right, as you get to Gavin Road, and for anybody mm-hmm. who hasn't I done this trip, is. it is beautiful. It is rolling. There are rock outcroppings, yep. and especially coming up to summertime, it is just gorgeous. And out wouldn't there. you love to know the history 
of those farms buried down in the bottom of those cliffs and oh, sure. coolies and oh, sure. I mean there are stories to be told that are there are endless stories to be told that would open up eyes to what it was like here and it really still is because the the land and the scenery never changed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just being appreciated differently now speaking of the history I would be remiss if we didn't spend a little time talking about your moments of fame <laughs> being on the show Pickers. Mm-hmm. Now, this shows how well I do my research. I've yet to see the show, and I apologize oh, that my. I haven't. Wow. So, so give me a little bit about the show itself. Is it on the Discovery Channel? Yes. Okay, so it's on the Discovery Channel, and and give me just a little bit of the premise of the show. Or is it the History Channel, or is that the same? I I I, I think don't. it's the History Channel. Okay, okay. I've seen it so many times, I don't even pay any attention to it. Honestly, it was done five years ago, and so, it repeats four times a year for the last five years, and I don't know why. <laughs> what is what is the basis of the show itself? There's these guys who go into these towns, and and they just they they want to find antiques artifacts whatever they they hope to find something unique and then they they resell them they refurbish them and resell well, them or how does no, this No that's not really what the show is okay. the show the story behind the show is supposed to be that um people call up their place in Iowa and say you know, uh, there's a I got a whole bunch of bicycles would you be interested in buying them and then what they do, what they did here, I contacted them with a few things that I knew could be, that I had permission from the board that could be sold out of the Pioneer Lock Village. Things that we didn't know who they, who donated them and were, or were broken really bad and they bought all that broken stuff. Um, and I contacted them by the internet. I sent them some pictures, never heard from them for half a year. Mm-hmm. Forgot all about it. Then I get a phone call. Hi, this is the Pickers. We're in the area. We want to stop out. I've just about had a heart attack. <laughs> so I met them out there, and uh, they looked around, and they decided, they determined um, that it was worth doing a show. That's what it's all about, is a show. So then uh, six months later, the show aired, and it was totally off the cuff. There was no lines there was the only planned part is when they arrive and they come up to the door and say hi we're the american pickers and we're understand you've got a bunch of bicycles here Mm -hmm. that that's planned okay but the rest of it is winging it all the way through and they look at the things they the pre-arranged and agreed upon things to be sold not any pricing or anything is pre-arranged that's all done during the filming mm-hmm. and so uh, that's that part is legitimate that part when is negotiating le- is legitimate okay and they're very fair because okay. there was one old bicycle that we were able to sell because it was pieces of bicycles mm-hmm. but they were all from the 1800s mike of the pickers has a collection of bicycles he loves them he he's he saw the picture of it. He said, figure out how much you think you want for it, just so you have an idea of where to go with your bidding. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything on it because it didn't have a name. So I just 
thought, well, I'm going to try to get $600 for it. But this was a totally arbitrary number for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just thought, well, from what I've seen and off the top of my head, 600 would probably be good. Mm-hmm. So we, we wandered around the village looking at stuff, bidding, and, and it was just a hoot to do it. And got to the bicycle, and um, he started the bid. And he said, I think... You know, if it was all original, it'd be like $2,500, but I'll give you $1,500 for it. And I thought, he knew. He knew I didn't know what it was worth. So he wasn't going to let me start out at $600, you know. And I have seen him on other shows when people ask too little, they'll say, you're really, you're you're way too low on that. We'll give you this. And they give them top dollar. That's awfully gracious of them. They and, don't need to be that way. Yeah. And and Mike, he was a president of a historical society in Iowa. And Frank, uh, he just has antique stores or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Mike is, is the most authentic one. I mean, the friendliest, the warmest, and the most real. And... Uh, he loved the place. He loved Reedsburg. Um, he loves Sauk County. And they call every year and want to know if I know of anybody who has anything they'd like to have the pickers look at. Is it still on the air then? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's been on for years. Mm-hmm. And the sh- my show was called Cheap Picks. Mm-hmm. Not because it was cheap, but because before they came to Reedsburg, they were in Rockford at the Cheap Trick Museum. Oh, okay. And they they bought a guitar there. Okay. So they titled it Cheap Picks, mm-hmm. starting it off with Cheap Trick and then ending it with us. And so I don't know if we're riding on the back of Cheap Trick or what, but we're on <laughs> every four months we're on. We were just on uh, about a week ago. So when he offered you almost triple of what you were expecting, did you play it cool? I was like, oh, my God. Um, That's a deal. (laughs) 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 And I said, my board of directors is going to be so happy with this. And it was enough money to put a metal roof on the school. Hmm. That was the reason for selling the things sure was we were putting new roofs on all the cabins Mm -hmm. and that was costly and Mm -hmm. you know we defrayed probably about close to four thousand dollars from what the pickers bought from us that went towards those roofs so it was it was really a good thing for things that were probably just taking up space there anyway. Yeah, they they weren't on display. They'd been shoved in a back corner, broken, dirty, full of cobwebs, no tags on them, you know, that kind of thing. A friend of mine who buys and sells antiques, and uh, to be honest, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's all that he does to make his living. He has... Um, speaking of dreams, he has dreams of being able to go into some of the attics in these old homes oh, in this yeah. town. And he, I know that he would probably do just about anything for that opportunity for some of these these places, some of these old places where, like you said, there's probably a trunk of things that has never been opened yes. since the stuff <gasps> was put in there. The two times I did that, oh no, three trunks. 
I can't tell you what it was, what it did to me to lift that lid and find little kids' underwear, long underwear with the price tags on it hmm. from the 1900s and back. Wow. You know, and, and women's dresses and pantaloons and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Bibles and diaries and hats. And I mean, they hadn't seen the light of day for 50 years and there they were. And oh my God. It was, I became, like I said, it was an obsession. It's probably a good thing I was too busy the last year that I was president. It was probably a good thing I was going to be too busy and I didn't run again because Evan thought I was insane that I was spending all my time at the Log <laughs> Village working like a slave. And I would I would get so dirty that I would... I wouldn't go through town on my way home for fear somebody would see me. I would take the back roads to get home. I mean, I was just filthy because it hadn't been cleaned for, well, 50 years. As exciting as it must have been to see these things, there there was likely some sort of sense of responsibility to be a good steward for these things. Right. These were things that were important enough for them to keep them. Right. Thinking maybe... The next generation would want them, or somebody in the family is going to have this. Now it's in your hands, a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, especially really intimate things like diaries or Bibles. Right. Oh. People don't realize how intimate a Bible is. Yeah, Many of them, for generations, keep their family tree in right. there, their family history. Yeah. And, and here you are. Not only do you have it in your hands, but now... You have to be responsible for what happens well, to for it. For protecting it. Sure. You know, now that it's out in the air, okay, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to protect this? And that was the a big problem out there because, it, you know, it, it's just old buildings and mm-hmm. rodents get in and insects get in. And, you know, it's a treasure out there. It's an absolute treasure, but it's not. It's being cared for as good as anybody can, but it's not good. Well, you to know? be fair, to be fair, it's 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 not the Smithsonian. Right. There's not maybe maybe if people had the same experience that you did with those artifacts or those items or those antiques or whatever you want to use to describe them. Right. Maybe if they had that that reaction to them, that heartfelt reaction to them. Maybe there would be some sort of wave towards keeping that stuff safe. It, well, the key is money. It takes a lot sure. of money, and that's what the you know that's what the problem is with a place like that. Yeah, and the state historical society they didn't want to take it over. The Sauk County didn't want to take it over. It was too much work and too much. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. And so it was sad, you know, we did the best we could putting things in, you know, zip locks and, and storing things in boxes that the bugs or the, the rodents couldn't get in. But we, we even took some things out and took them to the library to be stored. Some of the, there, there was, there's a whole collection by, owned by the Nishan family that mm-hmm. was donated there along with a lot of their furniture a collection of Civil War books autographed by the authors, hmm. written 
during the Civil War. Sure. And I, I gathered all those things up and said, get them out of here before something eats them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just like that. You found certain things that you knew you had to, they had to be spared. The Bab Bible is out there. The Babs were the first people to ever build a home here, and they mm-hmm. built it out by the, have you seen the Bab Cemetery out there? No, I've not. In fact, um, the there's a photo of the Bab Cemetery in, in the 150 book. I remember seeing that. And... I was not aware until I read the book, and 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 it's funny because I guess I guess this book really uh, left an impression on me because I, I do remember some of the things yeah, in it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that they were actually the first family here. Yeah. I had always thought that it was Reeds, and no. of course they were they were a number no, of years Reed, later. Reed turned out to be a mystery, and no one even knows what really happened to him. And he died out in California, maybe. So so yes, Bab came along and forded the river here. And their home was on what would be West Main Street now, right? No, their home is right next to where the cemetery is. Oh, okay. So and, where is the cemetery then? Well, okay. And, and that makes sense. A lot of people had family yeah, plots, didn't yeah. they? Sure. And it's only Babs in it, okay. other than one name that's different. And it was a little girl traveling through in a covered wagon who got sick, stopped in Reedsburg with her family. The Babs took him in and the little girl died. Oh, wow. And they buried her in their cemetery. Okay. But um, where was I going? Bab, to the, <laughs> you were going oh, to the Bab Cemetery. to the Bab Cemetery. <laughs> okay. Go out 33 towards Laval. Mm-hmm. And you know where the, by the radio station, there's that road that goes off to the left, kind of sharp and goes up like you're going to go to Ironton. Sure. Okay. Go up there, and immediately there's a driveway to the left, mm. a long driveway that goes way back to what used to be a, a a greenhouse, a nursery. Okay, okay. Go up, follow that, and and then stay to your right as you go past that house. Stay to your right. You feel like you're driving on somebody's driveway, mm-hmm. and in a sense you are, but it is open to the cemetery. Okay. So... Go past the house, stay to your right, go around the curve, and there's another house back there built where the Bab house was. Okay. And you can park right, you know, I never go up as far as the house. I park before the cemetery. You can see it. It's on a rise on the right-hand side. Hmm. And you can go to it because the Bab family, the Bab ancestors maintain that. Sure. Yeah, and and I understand I understand that to be the case with with all cemeteries, right? I mean, they're open to the public. Mm-hmm. So I, I think of the little cemetery, and I know you've seen it, that's off of Highway H, um, just at the intersection of Highway Double H, as you're going from Reedsburg oh, yeah, towards, you can towards go the up Dells. There. And, and it looks as though the driveway to it shares the driveway to yeah, the home. Yeah, yeah. But you, you can you can go yes. in there, and that's a very small one. I would say maybe, what, yes. 75 I have a cousin headstones. whose son was killed. In a car wreck, and he buried him up there. Okay, okay. Yep. So the Bab house, the original Bab house, the original log house that they had. It was a double log house. Right, mm-hmm. it was. And, and, and um, there was like a, a courtyard in, in between or in the middle of it, if I remember kind correctly. Kind of like a, that. you know, maybe a summer kitchen or who knows what they used it for. But they, uh, they didn't frivolously have courtyards. No. <laughs> Everything had a reason. I'm sure it did. <laughs> I remember, I remember too, um, and and this speaks a little to the the Reedsburg area history. 
But I remember that I read he employed the native people to work on it, Um, but they appeared to be a little too reckless with the timbers. And so he, um, he let them all go because a, he didn't want anything to happen to the wood and B, he didn't want to have anything happen to the people. Mm -hmm. And he ended up uh, hiring on, or, or maybe even with his own family, finishing it himself. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was, he was, he was new into this. I guess this would still be Indian territory at that time. Um, yeah. And they, he, staked, they lived, he staked his claim. Yeah. And he, it, it, they it, were his neighbors okay. out there. They lived on kind of in the back of where Webb Avenue would be back way back in behind, like where the bike trail is and back okay. in there. Sure. And the, they didn't like, they didn't get along real well with, the citizens of Reedsburg, mm-hmm. but they loved Bab because he traded with them food. They'd trade food. He was very fair to them. And Mr. Bab didn't like the residents either. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wonderful information about him if you really dig. And, and then his brother went on to Texas hmm. and he lived in Texas and uh, on a uh, in the con- on a ranch mm-hmm. or whatever, and uh, the Indians raided his place and killed his wife and stole his two children. Wow! And those kids wrote a book. It's called "In the Bosom of the Comanche." Interesting. And they wrote that book once they were released, but the boy became a warrior because he loved living with the Indians. And this was in Texas. This was in Texas, but they were the the, the family, family of here. the Babs here. And they talk about Reedsburg in that old book. And it was written in, oh man, probably maybe the 20s or 30s when they were finally traded back to the white people. So they came through here. Bab was here in the 1840s. Mm-hmm. His now this this would have been his niece and nephew. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. And the, so it, and the book is on on the internet mm-hmm. in the in the bosom of the Comanche by something Bab. I don't remember okay. his first name. And uh, only you just print it. Oh sure. Yeah. Okay. It, it's a e ebook. I'll have to look into it. It, look, it sounds very interesting. It is. And the first few paragraphs are all about Reedsburg. Hmm. So it's, and what he remembered of his childhood yeah, being there. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Oh, just such neat stuff, you know, man. <laughs> so I want to take it back just a moment here to the to the Pioneer Log Village, only in so much as to say it is still in operation. People coming into Reedsburg can still go there and and see some of of the artifacts. Now, to be fair, the log buildings aren't all from Reedsburg. Okay, I'll explain that. Okay. They're all from within 30 miles of Reedsburg. So that's why it's the Reedsburg Area Historical Society. All the relics in there, all the stuff was donated by those same people in that 30-mile radius. Um, so there are chances that some of those things actually were in those buildings at some point or no, 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 not anymore. I mean, Mm. I'm sure there was stuff in the buildings when they found them, but in the, 
in the early 60s, there was a some guys downtown in Reedsburg, the barber and I don't know who all, but they wanted to preserve log architecture. Mm-hmm. Then they had the idea to buy that land and bring in log cabins and maintain them rather than see them be torn down. So that was the idea for the Pioneer Log Village, to, main, to preserve the log history, the log structures. And then after they got a few buildings in there and built the big museum building, people started donating tons of stuff. Thousands and thousands of things are in there. And honestly, some people come and visit the village that know what was their families, and they, they go look at it. Oh, interesting. So so these were these were the best of the buildings that, that were available in the area or could be easily maintained or repaired. Right. And, they, and half of them were brought intact, including the church. Mm-hmm. And... The other half were taken down and resurrected, and they may not have all their parts like uh, like one when it was original. It had a, a summer kitchen off the back. They didn't put that on, but they are truly the original logs from the original site, from the original people who built them, and they were brought out there to preserve them, and it turned into what it is today, and there was a point in time where all those people who started it, they aged out. They got too old and typical, same problem as today. Who's going to take over? What sure. are they going to do with it? Sure. So some people from the Loganville area took it over and they they aged out. They couldn't take care of it anymore. And then my era came in and I was there seven years and people helping me some of them aged out Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there was no help and for a time there there weren't any men that were helping out there so we had to bring in the huber workers which turned out to be an amazing experience that i'll never forget in my entire life interesting in what way well we worked side by side doing the dirtiest work and dragging heavy things around and and cleaning cobwebs and mouse piles and you know just the filthiest of work because mm-hmm. of neglect and those guys we'd get usually four of them on a Thursday morning those guys dove right in and helped they never caused a problem we'd talk like we were friends while we're working together And I learned more things about the troubled, sad people that are in jail that never had a chance. That's why they went bad. And through three years of working with them every Thursday in the summer, different ones, and they always signed up to come to the village because they loved it. Some of them, when they got out, they, they would bring their families back, their little kids back, and show them around and come to the barbecue and talk to people because they'd learned from us, helping us. And other, well, I was in Viking just this past December, and a big tall guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you Barb? And I said, yeah, I had no idea who he was. He said, well, I was one of your Huber guys. And I want to tell you, that place straightened me out. And I've never been in trouble since. And he said, you p- 
people out there treated us like equals. In that was a precious part of the village to me. That's my personal story. So speaking of those log homes, yours is not one of them. No, it almost was. The village, I offered it to the village first. I said I would give it away to a nonprofit when we were going to build our house, or I would sell it to whoever. I would sell the logs to whoever would take it down and do whatever with it. Mm-hmm. Well, the log village came and looked at it. They didn't have enough money to move it. It was going to cost close to 10000 to move it. They wrap it in like saran wrap and put it on a trailer and carry it away. <laughs> and they couldn't afford to move it. Mm-hmm. So then I went to the Saw County Historical Society. They were very interested. They said they wanted it. We thought they were going to get it. They wanted to put it in the threshery grounds and have it be their headquarters during the threshery with displays and all that. I don't know what that is. The Out out by Baraboo in August, the, the threshery. Is that is that the, the same as the steam and gas show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know it by that. Okay. And that would have been ideal. Sure. I mean, it, what a neat thing. And then when it came time for them to buy it, at the same time that big building came up for sale in Baraboo on the river, that old mill, and they bought that for a dollar and dumped all their money into that, which oh. is a very nice thing. Mm-hmm. And the cabin was off their list. So and we couldn't it? hold it until until they could buy it because it was in the way of the driveway. Um and Reedsburg was interested in it, putting it in where the ruminant is. Okay. Before that was a park, they thought about putting it in there and making it a little historical museum across from the from The, the Chamber people. of Commerce. Yeah. That fell through. They didn't do it. They couldn't decide in time, and we had to get it out of there. So I put it in the paper. And I also wrote an article for Country Magazine about who wants a cabin. The article got published in Country Magazine, um, and they sent a photographer and photographed us and the cabin and the people who bought it, and it was in their December 2007 issue. And and in the newspaper, I got all kinds of people calling, thinking I was selling my cabin as it was sitting there for $3,500. And I said, no, just the logs, not the cabin. Sure. So um, John Laukent and his wife, Joanna, he's the veterinarian at Sunrise, and she's a doctor at the hospital. They came and looked at it, and he always wanted a log cabin, a real one. And they bought it and took it down over Christmas break for a college kid who helped him. And uh, they hauled, they they marked the the logs with cow ear tags. Mm Mm-hmm. And they stored him in their barn by Loganville for five years. Wow. And then they finally found some land. They needed somewhere 30 minutes from Reedsburg because they both work on call. And when they wanted to get away, they would go there and still be able to be on call. So they found land over by the town of Lloyd, just over the Richland County line. And it. It's, you know, how it is there. It's like mountains, little mountains. Well, the cabin, they rebuilt it on the very top of one of those high mountains. And 
when you're traveling on Highway 58 out of Lloyd towards Ironton or Kaz, you're traveling on 58. If you know which hill to look at in the winter, you'll see about this wide of an opening where the trees were cut out, and there's this little cabin <laughs> sitting up there, and that's it. It sounds majestic. Yeah. Oh, it is beautiful. They built it as it was, all the same logs. They had to add a few more logs because the north side was rotten. Mm -hmm. They had to make it 300 square feet bigger and a little bit taller because of the ordinance for the size of a building you can build. And it's all self-contained. It has no electricity to it. It's got a well, but it's all run by generators. An indoor self-composting toilet. Wood heat. I mean, it's... So It'll be there when when the rest of the world the grid goes bad. The cabin will still have lights. So it's it's a modernized pioneer settlement. Yes. How interesting. Yes. Is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't covered in the last two hours? <gasps> I thought this was going to be about music. <laughs> it ended up being about you. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for interviewing me. You are, I have to say, you are an excellent interviewer. Well, I don't know that that's Yes, you are, true. because you have a knack to start a conversation without the people even knowing where you're going with it, and they just fall right in and march to the tune of the drummer. <laughs> that's only because I don't know where it's going either, I think. Well, so. you did it very good. Awesome. I, I was impressed. I was well, thinking that. Thanks, Barb. Appreciate it. No problem. It was nice talking to you. So for this week's Wait, pot don't we just normally start with, hey, Lori, hey, Alex? Well, we can. Uh, what, what are we doing? <laughs> this is just like, you know, the few minutes at the end of the show wrap-up thing. Oh, so this is at the end, not the beginning? No, no, this is at the end. Don't we have to do an intro for the beginning? I do the intro. I thought it was a you-me thing. This is the you-me thing. I thought we did both. No, we do the end. I do the intro, and then one of us does the interview. For this episode, it was me. Like, in future episode, when young Jaco McCluskey... Jaco. You'll do that interview. Jaco. Jaco. I'm too close to the subject matter to do that interview. Hmm. I'm in his band. Um. And then if the interview runs long, I've determined that if the interview runs long, I'm not doing the checking in segment because that could push things out a little further. And this podcast, my interview with Barb Steinhorst ran a little long. And the whole... Hey, Lori. Hey, Alex thing. That's for our America Land podcast. Because then it's just us. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, hey, Lori. Hey, Alex. Let's go on a trip today. Ooh, are we going to come up with a theme song? Well, I, that, that just came to me right now. Maybe I we should do we that. I think we should. Or let's talk about a trip today. You know, I think we thing. should. Yeah. I think... I think that that would be fun. It might be. You'd have to sing it with me. I can probably do that on something like this. It's the in-person thing that freaks me out. Maybe you're right. So we'll see what we can do about that in 
future episodes of the podcast in the America Land segment of the podcast. Let's talk about a trip today somewhere across the USA. I like Near it. and far, doesn't matter where. We are. We are. Yeah, see something like that. In the east and in the west, travels what we like the best. <laughs> this is going somewhere. <laughs> it's going somewhere, right? <laughs> so for this podcast, I talked to Barb Steinhorst. And Barb is a friend of ours mm-hmm. and has been a supporter of Kettle and Cup and the arts in the Reedsburg area. And it was a very fun interview. Well, she's a pretty fun lady. She's very progressive. And I would say that a term that I would use to describe Barb is fearless. Yeah, I would say that. I would say spunky. Spunky's good. Yeah, yeah. I think spunky might even be a little bit better than fearless because she does have some fears. She has some fears for the present and for the future. I I, I did kind of get that in talking with her. But yes, she is spunky. And even though she has some reservations about the state of the state at present and for the future, she's still pretty optimistic about how things can turn out and how she's optimistic about people. And even though it's more implied than it is directly spoken... I really got that out of the conversation with her. So I was glad to have the time to sit down with her and and talk about growing up in the Reedsburg area, living in Janesville, going through some of the changes in her life that she had gone through and with her family. And and it was fun. I, I really enjoy it. So I hope that people who listen will enjoy it, too. So when you say that she's optimistic about people. Did she ever use the phrase that I did in our introduction of the podcast in saying that she loves human beings? No, she didn't say that. And to your credit, not only do I think I had not heard that said before, I don't know that anybody has ever said that before. Like, I don't even know that the Dalai Lama has said that he loves human beings the way that you said that you do. Well, he probably has. But I do have to tell everybody out there, you totally called me out on loving human beings this last week. I might have. He loves to call me out. I have been known to call people out. It's like a favorite sport. I was on the bottom of the totem pole for many years. (laughs) I'm the youngest of four. (laughs) So being called out is kind of a rite of passage. It's an Olympic sport in your family. It is. If if you've ever seen uh, puppies or piglets, you know, going, going in on, you know, towards their mom to eat and they're like scratching and biting and kicking at each other and kicking one of them out. The runt. That, well, yes, that was, that was what it was like growing up in my family. So... To bring this back around, Barb sure. isn't going to be called out on loving human beings, only me. Barb didn't outright say that she loves human beings. I just I just got this vibe from her that she, even though she's fearful about changes that have taken place in and around this area and for humanity in general, I think that she's generally optimistic about where we where we could be going. Hmm. She's she's definitely optimistic 
and it's interesting to talk about Barb without Barb being here. But I, I think that if anybody's listening at that point, they've, this point, they've listened to the interview. She's definitely optimistic about arts and culture and diversity in this town. And having had grown up in Wisconsin through the 60s and grown up starting out in Reedsburg in the, until the early to mid-60s and then moving to Janesville... She's seen a lot, as many people of that generation have. Mm -hmm. And she appreciates the fact that Reedsburg is beginning to progress. And it might just be some pivotal people making this happen, or it might be as a result of more population in this city, just more people from other areas that are making this happen. But she's definitely happy that Reedsburg is making these changes and she's happy that Reedsburg is in some ways progressing as far as arts, culture, um, and it's contagious. As you know, there are some times that I can get down on things and think, why this and why that? I think many of us do. And when you're having a conversation with somebody and they have an optimistic viewpoint on things, it can sometimes become a movement that you can catch as well. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy when she came upstairs to our living room, a couple of the short little stories that she shared with me, you, and your sister. She's a pretty funny gal, and she's seen a lot and done a lot, and... That spunkiness has been a constant from her younger years till now. And not to tell on her and tell stories that she may not want out there, but I did like the story that we heard in our living room. And I guess everybody will have to stay tuned to see if we have her back and she'll tell that story. Maybe we'll have a, a part two. So a future interview that I have confirmed is going to be Derek Ramnerace. You should remember Derek from our coffee shop days. I'm pretty excited to talk to him again because it has been a while since I've had the opportunity to actually sit down and have a chat with him. And he's been performing again locally. So this gives us a great opportunity to carve some time out and have a really nice conversation, I think. We do see him on and off and recently, but he's always on the move because we're seeing him at events that he's organizing or has a, a part in keeping things rolling. So it will be nice to be able to sit down and have some conversation. So that's going to be a future podcast. I've also, as mentioned earlier, confirmed Jaco McCluskey. Jaco will be available for an interview. Jaco's working on an album right now, his second album. And when the recording process gets wrapped up, before he starts summer tour for that album, I hope to be able to get him down here, sit down and have a chat with him. That way we can get some information out there for his upcoming album release before he gets too busy to actually sit down and have this chat. Yes, you do have a busy summer. 
It is the summer of Jaco. It's going to be an awesome summer. I think so, too. He's a pretty awesome young man, so I'm looking forward to that one. Speaking of awesome young men, I did get confirmation that I will have a sit-down chat with the one and only Dakota Newstater as well. Noost. Yes, Noost has relocated into the Dane County area and has been booking gigs in and around the Madison area, so it'll be nice to sit down with him and find out what's going on and what's new with him. I know also you will have an upcoming interview with Lucas Birch, another young man that performed quite often at the coffee shop. This is true. Not to say that all of our interviews in the future are going to be music-related, but these are the ones that I was able to definitely get confirmations for. I don't know in what order they're going to come out, but keep listening. They'll be here. I'm looking forward to all of them. Me too. So let's go ahead and wrap up this first podcast of the Reboot Kettle and Cup podcast. I like that. Reboot Kettle and Cup. Well, I don't know that that's going to stick around. What do you think? The Kettle and Cup. The Reboot Kettle and Cup. And then I think when you say that, there needs to be like a record thing that goes... The Kettle and Cup Reboot Podcast. The Kettle and Cup Podcast Reboot? The Reboot Kettle and Cup Podcast? The Kettle Reboot and Cup Reboot (laughs) podcast reboot that's a lot the of reboots. kettling cup reboot the k and c reboot you got too many options now i give up i'm i'm booted and rebooted <laughs> so before we get booted what is the sound that i'm trying to make it's it's like the squeaky thing that happens when they do the thing with the record that they do? When they scratch a record? Is that what it's called? Yeah. What's the sound? Make the sound. Uh, <laughs> is that the sound? <laughs> um, you gave a millisecond of the sound. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the sound. <laughs> so signing off, this is Alex. And this is Lori. And we'll talk to you next time. Kettle and Cup Reboot. Reboot Kettle and Cup. <laughs>